Hello and welcome to Weekly MTG. I'm your host, Blake Rasmussen, and we have a fantastic show today for you because we have the two finalists from Pro Tour Phyrexia, Reed Duke and Benton Madsen, joining us via the internet today. Uh, they're both calling in, and we're going to chat with both of them. We're going to talk to Reed first, then we're going to bring in Benton and uh, learn a little bit more about him, about their match, about the Pro Tour, about how awesome it is to be back to playing Paper Magic at the Pro Tour. Uh, but first, we've got a little bit of news. Uh, we are... Uh, bringing back Command Fest. Command Fest is returning. We've got a round of them coming up, and we're going to put the graphic up on the screen that shows where they are coming to. Uh, we're starting this first round in North America with events April 14th through 16th in Richmond, Virginia, Indianapolis, Indiana, Orlando, Florida, and Seattle, Washington, hosted by those stores there. Star City Games, Pastime Games, Cool Stuff Inc., and Laughing Dragon. Uh, you can find more information about these uh, specific events on the organizer's website. Uh, there's an article that will be going up on Daily MTG shortly that will have links out to those. As part of the return of Command Fest, uh, there will, of course, be promos. So let's take a look at the promos. So we've got Path of Ancestry and Arcane Signet. You can learn more about how you can get those promos at Command Fest, again, through those organizers' websites. Uh, but we're super stoked to be bringing back Command Fest. Uh, these, if you aren't familiar, are kind of mini festivals of just playing Commander. So very excited to have those back. Uh, check with those organizers and check dailymtg.com for more information. Uh, additionally, while you're on Daily MTG, also check out the Click Wheel promotion that we are running uh, start at local game stores. So you can get this cool white Phyrexian Click Wheel uh, life counter uh, just by spending $75 at your local game store. You'll get the Click Wheel completely free. So check with your local WPN store for more information on that, or you can check the article on dailymtg.com. Uh, now let's get to the main event, which is the winner of our main event, Pro Tour Phyrexia, from two weekends ago, Reed Duke. Reed, welcome to the show. Hey, Blake. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for the introduction. Um, yeah, I'm on top of the world. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I mean, like, it, you really couldn't write it up much better for you. You've, you've been a pro player for a really long time. First paper pro tour back first of all talk about before we get to your win talk about just coming back to play paper magic again in the pro tour it's awesome and you know like i was in my head looking forward to coming back to to competing at paper magic again but when it actually happened i didn't i, I didn't realize how many of the small things are really meaningful to me like the you know, sitting down before a tournament and like re-sleeving your, your deck and getting ready to go and, you know, getting your, your favorite um, card additions and, and stuff like that and your 15th sideboard card. Like yeah. all of that really just contributes to the experience. And um, while, you know, playing playing from home on, on Arena was cool in its own way and I was grateful to have some some fun stuff to do over the last few years, it really isn't quite the same. Yeah. Well, and you were part of a, a testing house for this as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was awesome. Um, getting to see a lot of old friends that I hadn't seen in years. You know, people who similarly, it was like we 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 talked frequently, we practiced together, we played magic together, but suddenly we showed up at the same house. It's like, wow, I, I haven't actually seen you in in three or four years. Uh -huh. That's great. And we we yeah, we just had a really good team dynamic, really good experience. Um, at various points, various people would sort of stop everything to be like, wow, this feels awesome. It's so good to be kind of back to normal and just back in the mix again. Yeah. So what was, what was your prep like? Because you, you certainly ended up playing a deck that, you know, you're, you're typecast very much as the Jun guy for not bad reason. Uh, the deck you ended up playing was a little bit different than that. So t talk us through your testing process. So it was, I think, obvious pretty early on that Pioneer was a pretty well-balanced format and that um, 
there wasn't going to be like one clear deck that you have to beat at the Pro Tour. It's just going to be a, a you know a, a medley of of different strategies that were all pretty good and had various strengths and weaknesses. So in a format like that, you're not really gonna like break the format. You're not gonna come up with some secret deck that hits all the right notes and you have a big advantage over the field. So instead it's more about just doing a good job with whatever you choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ended up with this Is It Creativity deck because it had a lot of intangible qualities that uh, myself and others tend to value uh, for a tournament like the Pro Tour. And yeah, the, the main, the main um, person behind the Is It Creativity deck was, was Mike Sigrist. And he had mm-hmm. just played a lot with a wide range of strategies. And he was like, you know what, guys, this is, this is the best. This is my favorite. And we agreed. Yeah. All right. So take me through your day one. How, how did your constructed rounds go? How did your draft rounds go? So the draft was great. It, it was like picking up where I left off. You know, I, I just have so much fun getting to do a high level booster draft. Um, I navigated into my favorite color combination in this set, which is red, red and green mm-hmm. um, and had some close matches where, where I ended up, you know, drafting well, sideboarding well, drawing well, and eventually just scraping out a 3-0. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm back. Like the, the, the tournament's starting off on a good note and I'm mm-hmm. really, really having fun playing. Um, I would say I was more confident and more looking forward to the draft portion than constructed. As, as you sort of set up, this isn't a deck that I necessarily felt at home uh, playing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, get the get the good draft score. That really improves my chances of, of being able to make a day two finish and, and convert the tournament into something um, that'll have, you know, something to, to show for in terms of prize money or my standings for the rest of the year. Uh, and then I did lose the fir- first round of um, construct, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, in sort of somewhat of a meaningful way because I lost to uh, Benton Madsen, who, who we're oh. going to have on uh, in, in a few minutes. Um, but after that, things went pretty smoothly. I finished six and two on day one and uh, was was still in fighting shape for day two. And, you know, you mentioned kind of hitting your goals. What were your goals coming into this event? My goal was very simple, that I just wanted to show up and enjoy playing a Paper Pro Tour again. I had no expectations about what my record was going to be uh-huh. or, you know, how I was going to, how I was going to pr- perform stack up against basically, you know, like a whole new field of players that maybe I wasn't used to playing against uh, from the old days. Um, this, this pro tour is worth noting. It was special in that you only needed a nine and seven record to requalify for the next one. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, nine and seven in a high level of competition, that is a hard record to achieve, but if you can make day two, you know, you only need to win half or a little more than half of your yeah. matches on day two to, to, to get there. Um, so I, I guess the the one thing that I really wanted was like, I want to make day two. I want to be able to draft twice and just like kind of be in the conversation up till the end of the Swiss rounds, at least. Yeah. Well, you were certainly in the conversation. Uh, you know, you've been to top eights before, you know, you've, you've won events before but you hadn't won a pro tour before. So what, when did you start to feel like this event was different? Well, I just kept exceeding my expectations, like one step after another, starting, starting right off with that three Oh draft uh, and making day two. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, you know, it was a while before I even pictured myself like battling for the top eight, but then Things kept going well and going well and going well. And, and suddenly I was there um, and I made the top eight and I'm like, wow, this is just the greatest thing ever. But still, even then, I didn't have that swell of confidence. And I would say the, the real turning point was when I made it uh, past Nathan Stoyer in the quarterfinals because mm-hmm. um, he was you know, one of the top toughest players in, in the top eight, uh, yep. in, in my opinion. And when I won that, I was like, wow, like, maybe I could actually do this. Well, and there was a, I don't know if you thought of it this way, but I'm former coverage, so these, this is the way our brain works. But we, we thought it was kind of wild that, you know, the, the time you came closest to getting a trophy was when you got second in Worlds to Shahar, who was playing a, a blue-red-white deck, 
and you were playing an Auras deck, and we had sort of a, a flipped version of that. Did that mm -hmm. ever enter your head when you were sitting in the finals against Benton? It did, and actually, when I played uh, Ben in round four, it was a feature match, and some of my friends kind of joked with me. They're like, hey, the, you know, you're on the other side of the table there. And <laughs> to which I said, well, I managed to lose from both sides of the table. But, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was kind of a rush. That Boggles deck is very powerful, very volatile. Um, so I, I think the main takeaway was just like, you, you have to respect it and you have to be prepared for it to, you know, deliver up some, some scary draws. Mm -hmm. So you lost to Benton earlier in the event. And then in the finals, you won 3-0. I guess, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> not really. Uh, w did you change your approach to the match between matches or was it draw dependent? H how do you feel that flipped? Well, the, the real answer, you know, I wish there was, there was some like deep strategic answer to that question, but, but really it, it was just the, the quality of Benton's draws. Um, mm -hmm. In the Swiss match, he got to keep seven cards with blade cover scout in both games and in the finals he mulliganed i think it was eight times in the course of three games which is just way 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 more than than you normally expect someone to mulligan yep um and so again you know i guess we'll get to hear from from ben himself but just the volatility of the auras deck and to some extent i knew that that was going to be a big determining factor like, uh, I think I said to Cedric right before I went on stage, I was like, you know, if if he keeps seven cards with Glade Cover Scout every game, I'm a huge underdog. But the Auras deck is not set up where that that's, you know, the, the most likely outcome. And so yeah. if, if, if he gets, catch, catches the bad end of that, then I have a much better chance. Yeah. Uh, I do want to take a step back in your uh, your top eight journey to your match against Nathan because there's there's some comments about it in in chat that I thought are really good, and uh, one of the things you did in that matchup was you you switched between having the combo in your deck and out of your deck and ultimately brought it back in. Can you talk a little bit about your your thinking and, and jostling back and forth between those two configurations? So part of it is that I thought the two configurations were pretty close in quality and I, it wasn't super clear to me, which was better. Mm -hmm. um, then the corollary to that is it, it might not be super clear to Nathan, which, which is better and which I'm going to do. So I wanted to capitalize on that by making sure he could not accurately predict what my deck was going to look like at the start of each game. Sure. Uh, so basically the, the plan that I settled on was, I wanted to see. I wanted him to see the transformative Holebreaker Horror plan one time, and then I wanted to bring the combo back in. Now, a couple things about Nathan's deck. Number one, he had two copies of Ottawara and two copies of Fading Hope, which are just really, really effective at stopping the combo. It's like yep. basically swords to plowshares. Um, but also, Holebreaker Horror is not very good against those cards. So it's kind of tricky for me to win the game, and I have to, I have to pick my spots and, and uh, navigate careful, carefully if I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing is he had in his sideboard Dragonlord Dromoka and Sphinx of the Final Word, which are yeah. both uncounterable, and I thought he was going to use those as sort of trump cards against my post-board configuration that had a lot of counterspells. So the way I pictured things going was like he would pick a big turn, expend some resources, and try to get one of those creatures onto the battlefield. And then I'd have exactly one turn as a window to, to win the game. And if I couldn't do that, then I would be in big, big, big trouble. Mm -hmm. um, so that that was part of the reason that I valued the combo against his particular uh, configuration. Yeah. Well, and even the Hullbreaker Horror came into play against that Sphinx of the Final Word because you were able to bounce it from the stack rather than even though it couldn't be countered, it went back to his hand. Yeah, so that that was, you know, a big story of my tournament was like each one kind of worked out mm -hmm. well based on the way the cards came off the top. Like in that game, I was able to assemble a bunch of mana and play this play this draw-go game and then have the, the powerful flash threat. And then in the, the, the final two games, I, I found opportunities to, to get the combo off. And yeah, each one just was exactly what I needed in that moment.
Yeah. All right, so then you get to the finals, you win 3-0. When did it settle in that you had, you had finally won a pro tour? Uh, it's not even fully real to me <laughs> now. Um, w one big moment was when, like, I was just t in this totally, like, dazed state, right? Like, unable to really process what had happened. And uh, Cedric, you know, invited me to the front of the stage, and he announced to the room, he was like, I want to introduce your Pro Tour champion, Reed Duke. And then I was like, wow, like, it's it's real. It, it really happened. And I, I teared up a little bit in that moment. I was not sure if I was going to be able to complete <laughs> the interview with Cedric. But that was that was really, really uh, a big moment. Um, but yeah, even now, I'm, I'm sort of in disbelief. Like, there's so much outpouring of, of support afterwards that I almost couldn't believe it. And I went back and watched some of the coverage this week and I'm like watching the, the video and I'm like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna watch myself lose to Nathan and realize that this whole thing was like a dream or some, you know, <laughs> the result of some addled brain that's done a few too many booster drafts in his lifetime. But no, I, I mean, I'm here and I, I, best I could tell it's real. I mean, there's a trophy right in your background right there. That is true. That is yeah. true. Uh, okay, well, I do want to bring on your opponent in that finals match who, you know, you've been around for quite some time. Uh, if people follow the Pro Tour, they, they know who Reed Duke is. Uh, but Benton Madsen is is relatively new to the Pro Tour scene. This was his first Pro Tour. Uh, he's been around uh, competitive magic a little bit, so his name may not be completely new. But yeah, let's bring on Benton Madsen. Hey, Benton, how you doing? Hey, y'all. I am doing all right. Although my internet is a bit finicky, so forgive me if I suddenly disappear. If you just, we'll, we'll get you right back. So, uh, Benton, I think the first question we need to answer it for uh, the people at home is, who are you? Uh, good question. Uh, I had, it's sort of funny you asked that because I had a bit of an identity crisis uh, during um, uh, the pro tour. A, a guy from Denmark came over to me and was like, Hey, you're Ben Matson, right? I was like, yes. And he was like, you're on Auras, right? It's like, yes. He's like, so am I. Anyway, you've been saying your name wrong. I was like, <laughs> what? And he's like, your name is pronounced Masson, right? It's Danish. I was like, what? <laughs> so uh, I've been wondering about that a lot lately. Um, as I love how also he like he led with like, oh, we're, we're playing the same deck. All, but the also unrelated note. Um, Unrelated. You know, your name is wrong. Yeah. Your name is wrong. You've been saying your name wrong your entire life. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm 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 just some guy. Uh, I'm a local New York player. Um, I enjoy Magic: The Gathering. It's my favorite hobby. Uh, mm -hmm. I met a lot of really really intelligent people playing it, and that's one of my favorite aspects of the whole experience. Um, yeah. How long have you uh, How long have you been playing? When did you start? Uh, about 2012. Um, a bunch of friends and I sort of did a five-player game with the uh, pre-constructed decks that they released with M13. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's funny, one of them convinced me not to kill him because he said we were going to do this a lot. And if we did, he would gun for me forever. And we never, <laughs> I never played that person again. Never in my entire life. Um, but no, my, my brother got me into it. He was a really big fan and kept beating me. And that made me very angry. So I started going to my local game shop and started an arms race that led me here, I guess. Well, okay, so this is your first Pro Tour, but what's kind of your competitive journey? What what have you played at a competitive level? Um, well, let's see. I've played a number of SCG events. Um, I think at one or two points I've played in the SCG Invitational back when that was uh, a thing. Mm -hmm. um, played in a lot of uh, PTQs, IQs, and that sort of thing, a number of GPs. Mostly not to any success. Um, probably pretty much all of my, like, interesting tournament finishes have been kind of in the past six to eight months. Um, I made second in an MLCS on Magic Online, ironically with Indomitable Creativity. Um, I've played a lot of that deck. It's it's really sweet. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I've, 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 it, it's sort of weird. It took me a while to figure out um, like how to prep my meals for big events. Okay. And I basically didn't have any success until I figured that out. Really? So your food was the key to your success? As far as I can tell. Um, oh, crap. I, uh, I'm, just, I'm just going to let that ring. Sorry. Just ignore um, it. It's fine. Uh, so basically, uh, 
I remember I was like, like the, actually the first big event I ever did well in was a Super Sunday series um, in which uh, I uh, managed to win at Grand Prix New Jersey in Legacy. Mm-hmm. And I had brought my own food with me just because like, I didn't know what the eating situation was like at the convention center. I just lost a lot of weight and I really didn't want magic to be like the reason that my food schedule and my dieting kind of fell apart. So I brought like this thing of steamed carrots and vegetables and chicken with me. And my opponent in the finals, he was the only guy who beat me in the Swiss. Um, and, uh, he had brought a bag of cliff bars and I was like, we're the only people who brought our own food and we're meeting in the finals. There might be something to this. Yeah. Um, and so ever since then I've started getting in the habit of just like, whenever I go to a big event, I will bring just like a vat of chicken I've made the night before, uh, <laughs> stored in the freezer of a hotel or in the fridge of, uh, of the convention of just whatever fridge I can find. And that'll be my dinner, uh, most of the nights. And, um, yeah, it's really, it's really changed just my ability to like think knowing not just like having food and knowing that's like good food, but also just like knowing like just the knowledge of like, this is when you're going to eat and what you're going to eat and where it is. It's like just a massive stress off the mind. There's no like, mm-hmm. you know, where are we going out for dinner? Are you thinking about that in round seven? Cause you're hungry. Yeah. You know, sort of like some uncertainty in that regard. It's really useful. Okay. So you said, you know, most of your success has come in the last like six to eight months. How did you qualify for Pro Tour Phyrexia? I did the arena play-in uh, event on uh, MG Arena. Um, I got very lucky. Uh, I also, I, I recently sort of um, started kind of testing with this group of friends, Chase Masters and Aaron Diaz, and they are sharp as heck. I mean, they are they are two very intelligent people. Um, and they, uh, they gave me advice on how to tackle the Brothers War sealed format um, that really did a lot for my win rate in that. Like, it was also useful because Brothers War was not a normal sealed format. Like the, uh, like it was a fifteen land default sealed format. That's very uncommon. Like a lot of people I saw would like play seventeen lands flood every game, and it's just like gave you a massive edge to sort of know that this sealed format just works very differently from the last like eight that you may have played. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, I got to, I got a, I got a qualification from the arena plan, and then I also qualified for Baltimore in the MOCS. Um, although that was a bit weird, I. I should not probably have qualified for the Pro Tour through that, except Perkle Master Wizard is bugged on Moto, so I got uh, bumped one in my price uh, price payout, which was sort of which included a Pro Tour invite. Fair enough. Uh, how did you end up playing Auras? Because that was not a common choice for players at this event. The one player you met, uh, notwithstanding, and a couple others. But how did you end up on that deck? That's a good question. Um, when I go out for runs, I frequently come back just kind of thinking about things. Just stuff is sort of floating into my head, and I, I, I will sort of be like, huh, I'm, you know, I'm, I will investigate that when I get back. Um, so uh, one day I was coming back, uh, walking through Central Park. I take runs around the reservoir. If you've ever been here, it's a really beautiful spot. Um, I was just thinking about Michael Letch's Auras list from the uh, regional championships. And I was like, this guy made top four of this really big event. It was like the last really big Pioneer event. And like no one has been playing his deck at all since then, and it's getting a massive for, uh, uh, buff and Razorbridge thicket. I wonder if there's anything that like anything else in the set that makes it really good, or like is the deck just like good and people just dropped it because they're missing something? I, like I, I had played a lot of creativity, and I knew it'd be I thought it would probably be a really good choice for this tournament, but I also felt like the creativity list that I saw were doing well. I didn't understand anymore, like impulse just never worked for me once in testing. Like I would always just look at the top, like the four middest cards in my library and be like, <laughs> I, it just could have just said drawn a card. It would have been basically the same thing. That's definitely not how it actually works, but it's how it felt like it works. And I was like, okay, I don't understand what I'm doing here. I need to find a new thing. Uh, and I ran across, I just like checked the spoilers, saw Skrell was card and was like, looking at the list, like, oh, it's, it's probably pretty good. Like light pause, turn one Skrell, turn two light pause. It's like a thing that I couldn't do before. That seems like a really strong start to a game. Yep. I ran a few leagues with it. It felt like it was winning. It felt like I was getting lucky, but also like maybe that would keep happening. I don't know. It's just a gut feeling, really. Okay. So you get to the Pro Tour. You went 8-0 on day one and led the field. Um, and you seemed kind of genuinely surprised to have done so. Uh, what point during the event did it did it hit you that you could make the top eight? Um, the last round of my Swiss tournament, um, I, I basically, uh, it had basically did not feel possible to me, even 
uh, up until like round 11 or 10, I still mm-hmm. sort of was like, this is probably not going to end terribly well. The draft on day two did not go great. I started at one, two, and I was sort of like, well, that's going to be setting the tone for the day. Uh, Brad Nelson came over to me and he just sort of told me like, look, you know, zone out the noise, take it one game at a time. And I was sort of like, yeah, yeah, I know that. But I, 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 I had known that intellectually. I hadn't really been like taking that on as like a, you know, sort of as a, as a mantra, like sort of really concentrating on just like this uh, singling out everything else that was going around around me. And when I was on, like when I had two winning ends, I was like, okay, there is some chance this is going to happen. I'm going to try my best to ignore that and just mm-hmm. games. So you make the top eight and you immediately have to play against a Hall of Famer and eventually had to play against a total of two. Did that enter into your head at all? I mean, this is your first pro tour. Uh Oh, did Benton freeze? (laughs) Benton froze. That's the look when you get paired against a Hall of Famer. (laughs) That's the look when you get paired against a Hall of Famer. All right, we'll come back to Benton as soon as he comes back. Uh, So why don't we start... Because uh, I, I do want to talk, read about the finals match, and once Benton gets back, we'll we'll talk about it from both of your sides. Um, you, oh. you know, you. Oh, did we have him back? There he is. Sorry about that. Like I said, it's all right. Bad. Okay. Hall of Famers. Uh, you played against two in the top eight. Did that enter into your head at all, or or how are you feeling once you got paired against uh, Gabe and went on from there? Um, Gabe was a really comfortable match for me, uh, mostly just because I think that like whenever I'm playing against someone else who's a very verbal person, um, it usually means I'm sort of have a license to talk and that makes me feel very comfortable. Um, I'm, I am someone who talks when I'm nervous. People probably may have noticed that about me. Um, so, uh, but it, it, I do it because it is good. It's a good thing for managing my nerves. So that sort of did a lot to just kind of keep me calm. And, and again, I think that like yeah, Gabriel is, as far as I can tell, someone who doesn't mind table chatter. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's someone who's known to indulge in the occasional called shot. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I, some of the best moments on coverage history is like him just calling the top of the stack. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that, that felt, that felt pretty comfortable. I mean, you know, it's the type of thing where uh, one thing that I realized a long time ago was like, you know, if someone drove 10 hours to Indianapolis for a Magic the Gathering SUG event, the chances are they like play a lot of this game and they sort of know what they're doing and they have every chance of just like beating you. And so I never really like expect to feel favored against everyone and against anyone that I play. Yeah. And that's helped a lot with sort of just keeping my head in the game. All right. Well, so now let's fast forward to the finals. We, we talked to Reed a little bit about things from his side. Uh, you had played Reed once before in the Swiss. What were your thoughts heading into the finals? I really just still couldn't believe it was happening. Um, it's, it sort of seemed to me like a surprise that I was in the finals. I was pretty sure Takumi was going to take me out um, in, in top four because his ossify build of Mono White was very strong, and it felt like it was very strong against what I was doing. Um, so I didn't really have any plans for if I, if I beat him or, or what to expect. I just kind of – I remember, like, they, had it, they, they said to us, like, um, okay, we guys want you to walk toward the table and then sit down just so mm-hmm. we can like get that on, on camera. And I was like, oh, cool. So we did that. And then we sat down and then Reed pulled out his deck and started shuffling. And I was like, oh, oh, we're playing. Oh, that's oh, okay. <laughs> I thought, okay, my bad. Um, I was like, oh, we're starting. Uh, Reveal Gigantha, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I just, I, I just, my mind was blank. I was just, you know, I was with my friends. They were happy for me. I was happy to be with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just with my buddies, you know? And then, after the event, how, when did it sink in that you had, you had gotten second at your very first Pro Tour? Um, I think, I mean, uh, Reed said uh, that it, it didn't feel uh, uh, necessarily surreal to him to be a champion yet. I, I feel a pretty similar way about, about coming up in the in the finals. I just, uh, I don't know. I, I still kind of, still doesn't really, when I, when I beat Gab is probably the closest that it came to being like, okay. The, this event has gone very, very well for you. This was mm-hmm. uh, this was a, this was a top tier weekend. It'd be a while until you have another day that goes as well. Um, this uh, this is the highlight for the month, uh, definitely the year, probably. Um, and uh, it's not at any point. It hasn't really been any more or less real. Uh, it's just sort of been like, huh, that is. 
I, I'll tell you one thing. I did notice that like I was exhausted afterwards. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize this at the time, but I think the amount of like cortisol on my body and like just stress I was feeling must have been massive because I just crashed yeah. when it was done. I was just like, I couldn't do anything for like a couple of days. I was just like completely drained. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, before we get to my last couple questions, so anyone watching at home, if you have questions for Reed or Benton, uh, feel free to put them in chat and we'll, we'll throw them out and we'll ask them uh, whatever it is you're, you're looking to find out. Um, so Benton, have you, since your Pro Tour win, have you been back to your local game store yet? Yes. Yes. Well, I, um, I did, uh, I've in New York, it's sort of like hard to narrow down what game store is your local game store. Cause you have like a couple that are sort of equidistant by train most of the time. Mm -hmm. Oh crap. Oh, not again. No, <laughs> there it goes. All right. Uh, Let's all right, Reed. I'll throw some of these chat questions out to you, and we'll we'll get Benton back in a sec. Uh, Reed, what do you think of the Pioneer metagame post Pro Tour? Hmm. I actually just finished like forty minutes ago uh, writing up the the Pioneer power rankings. I sometimes do these power rankings pieces for Channel Fireball, uh -huh. but I, you know, I I studied up. I looked at all the results, all the stats. And I was like, boy, I just, it's really hard to put a ranking on these decks because I think Pioneer is very balanced, very diverse. Um, the decks that get the highest volume of play don't always have the highest win rates. Uh, you know, one like favorable or unfavorable change in the metagame can, can shift things around. Um, so I, I guess that's the answer. I just think it's really, really diverse. I think there's, there's probably 15 different archetypes that you can reasonably choose and, and do a good job with. Um, and I think that's the sign of a very cool, engaging format. Great. Uh, yeah. So Benton, the, the question we just asked Reed and we'll, we'll come back to the, the local store, local game store story in a moment, uh, is how you feel. What do you think, uh, about the meta game for pioneer after the pro tour? I think it's great. Um, I think that, uh, uh, Reed's made a lot of really good points about it. Uh, I would say that like, it's a really good sign that you could play Auras, which has like 40 one and two mana spells in it, or Fires of Invention, which is like a seven, a six and seven mana spell centric mid-range deck in the same format. Those, yeah. those are two completely different approaches and everything in between is, is viable. Um, I would say that like, yeah, it seems like a really good format. I think that like the, the task that players will have to like figure out when like they're building their deck is like, okay, there are uh, uh, like, how do I, like, what is my plan for stealing back the, the play in mirrors? Um, and I think that's like a really interesting challenge to have uh, when you're thinking about like your deck choices, you know, um, which is, I, I think sort of like a really, it's, 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 it feels like it's in a pretty healthy place. There are a lot of questions you have to sort of assess when you're looking at um, what you want your deck to do and how you want to do it. There's sort of like as many tools as there are players. Yeah, I love it. Great. All right, so back to the question uh, we were talking about before. What was the reception like uh, back at your local game store when you came back after the Pro Tour? It was good. I felt like I owed a lot of people there um, a lot because you know I sent out an SOS on Discord like, um, anyone willing to like test the creativity versus Aura's matchup because I need to sleep. Uh, and a, a couple of people reached out to me and I was like really grateful to them. And it was really nice to see them again. Uh, I went to like just an EDH night and, you know, uh, I felt like because I, um, had a high level pro finish, if I built, brought my own deck and won with it, people would be, uh, annoyed at me because they'd be like, oh, well you built this to win. It'd be like, fair yeah. enough. So I, I just borrowed people's decks. Uh, and, uh, it was, yeah, it was just a good time. It just felt really nice to like. People were generally very polite about it. Like I didn't have any moment where I was like, oh man, this is sort of worse than it used to be. It was better to be unknown. It was just sort of like, you know, some head nods and mm -hmm. uh, a few congratulations. I was like, thanks guys. Appreciate very it. Nice. Very nice. All right. Uh, this next question from chat, we'll start with Benton and then we'll, we'll pitch it to Reed as well. Uh, any advice for up and coming magic players looking to enter the pro tour? Okay. Um, well, that's a good question. Um, I would say that my biggest piece of advice I, is probably actually the food thing. It really does make a big difference when you like know what you're eating and when you're eating what you're eating and uh, uh, like how just that's going on in the course of a weekend. I would also say like figure out like when you get to an event hall that you have to like play an event in 
figure out what the chair situation is like. I, I think that sounds weird, but like when you look like I do, I'm just sort of, I'm not a typical average body type. Um, I imagine Reed probably has this problem too. Um, a lot of chairs are just not very comfortable to sit in. And if your back is hurting like the entire way through an event, it's going to crash everything. Like it's just, you can't expect your brain to function when your back is in pain. It just doesn't mm -hmm. work. Um, so those are two really big things I've like grown to focus on over time is like, you know, what am I like if, if I show up and, and like, I'm just having trouble, like these just chairs aren't for me. Like what am I, where are my, my contingencies? Um, some people I know bring a cushion or whatever. It's really important. Um, like events you'll want to focus on. Uh, the arena plan is really, really hard. I mean, it's worthwhile. It cues you for a lot of things, but I have to say I got, a, I got quite lucky and needed to, to, um, secure uh, a, a path through that. Probably your regional championships and your RCQs are going to be like the most standard way. So pay attention to what the RCQ season is, figure out, you know, I mean, really the best resource you can have for anything you want to do in life and Magic the Gathering especially is just good friends you trust who will do some of the thinking for you and you could do some of the thinking for them. Um, it's just a massive, massively beneficial. I mean, I, I don't think... I think that probably both Reed and I had like six or seven sounding boards we talked to about our decks before we registered what we played. Mm -hmm. uh, Reed, similar question. Uh, what advice do you have for a player who's struggling to make their first pro tour and keeps barely missing? Biggest thing is quality of practice and not just quantity of practice. I think there's a tendency to like, play and play and play and never stop to catch your breath. And then sort of at the end, you're like, okay, now what? But um, if you give yourself more opportunity to learn and digest what's going on, be introspective and be honest about what's causing you to win and lose games. And also um, make sure to get exposure to players who are more skilled and experienced to you than, mm -hmm. than you. Uh, you know, some, some people are fortunate enough to be able to, sit across the table and play with someone who's who's a pro tour player, but that's not the only way you can do it. You can also read articles, watch streams, watch tournament coverage, try to pick up things that are different from the way you're playing and then incorporate them in, in, into the way that you, you practice and the way you play. Yeah. All right, Reed, another question for you. Um, so this is your first pro tour win, but can you tell us about other big wins that mean a lot to you? Grand Prix Miami uh, stands out to me. Loved that Jun deck. Yeah, Grand Prix Miami was awesome. I won with uh, Standard Jun, which is one of my favorite um, decks of all time. There have been a couple Grand Prix. Another one is uh, Louisville in Legacy, where I was. It was a really good feeling to be able to like win with my own deck that I had had worked on a lot. Was that the land tax deck? Uh, no, no, that's a that. good memory, Blake, that, that I, I love the card land tax. That was a Soltai, um, true name nemesis deck. Okay. It was right after Le Leovold had been released. Um, and you can gotcha. play with that in Legacy. That was cool. Uh, other big wins, uh, I would say, you know, the, the Mox was huge. That was the first time I really had a big breakthrough in Magic back in 2011. I won mm -hmm. the, the Magic Online Championship Series. We won the team series in i want to say 2018 um which was a really great experience as, as part of the, the ultimate guard pro team yep um but yeah i mean you know any any one of those moments where you're sort of like playing at a level you've never played at before or, or getting able to being able to, to to come home after the weekend and be like yeah i did it like i, I really couldn't have done any better i, I achieved my goals and sometimes getting to share that with teammates, all, all, all that stuff is is really great and memorable. All right. Uh, next question for Benton. Benton, I feel like this might be someone setting you up for something, uh, but people are getting to know you. So what is Benton's favorite joke? Noting that, let's keep it to a clean joke. What is my favorite joke? Yeah. I, I don't know what I'm being set up for here. Can someone? I don't. I don't either. Maybe you're not being set up. Maybe they're just genuinely. I don't. Curious. I don't know. I, I uh, my favorite joke. I don't know. I watched a deep fake of uh, of the presidents playing card games the other day. That was very funny. Um, okay. I don't know if it's my favorite joke, but hearing Joe Biden say skill issue was hilarious. Um, I, I don't know. It's a great meme if you haven't seen it. Um, 
Yeah, I don't, I'm, 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 I'm lost. Is, is this, uh, is, is it getting my life pause killed? Uh, no idea. I knew enchant it with rune assessments because that was, a, that was, a, that was a good one, but I'm not sure it was my favorite. <laughs> All right, uh, let's switch Benton to uh, a magic, uh, magic, not joke, a magic question. Uh, would you say now that Boggles is your new favorite deck of all time? Um, yeah, I, I would say that I have a pretty close attachment to it. Um, I'll probably build a light pause commander deck at some point in my life. Uh, just, be, just to relive the highlights. Uh-huh. Um, I would, I mean, yeah, I would, I would, I, I am someone who usually gravitates to playing like blue red decks. Cause I like, um, tempo and combo is sort of like the two ways that the speeds that I would like to play magic at if I can, like in modern, I play a lot of blue red breach, which is a very similar sort of uh-huh. speed. Uh, but boggles, I was like surprised by how well it scratched that itch because the great cover scout games feel very much like tempo. Oh crap. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that's, that's fine. Cause we got a question here for you, Reed. Um, so you both shared some good advice on, uh, breaking through in magic events. And the question is all of this great ev- advice contradicts Shota's success. Uh, how do you account for that? Yeah, you must know Shota fairly well. Okay. Well, let's, I'll take an alternate, alternate bit of advice. Just be like Shota. Just be like Everybody Shota. out there. If, if you're struggling, it's easy. Just be like Shota. Done, is the, right? That, is anyone like Shota? Is that, I no, think that's, of yeah. Of course not, Blake. That's, and that's the whole issue is, you know, you can be like, I, you can say like, oh, I wish I had this sort of mystical, like transcendent uh, expertise, but that's just easier said than done. And and for most of us, we have to actually get there through the, um, the, the, the tough, gritty path of, of losing a lot and, you know, having to, to learn and, and grow. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that Shota has his, his share of, of struggles as well. And um, sometimes we just don't see them. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he is, he is just a genius at magic and he, he has, he does things his own way. Right. So he, he knows every single step of the way from deck building to sideboarding to, you know, the way he's playing the games, like what, what he wants to accomplish and he does it his own way, which is why it's very difficult for people on the outside to understand what's going on there. Um, but you know, even if we have to take a different path, we're trying to get to that same point where we have a, a very complete, uh, and well-rounded under, understanding of everything that it takes to win a match of magic and do well in a match in a magic tournament. Yeah. I, I think my favorite kind of show to memory that just showed how different he is as a magic player and just at this whole other level was it, was it a Worlds where he was playing that teamer aether vial deck? And, yep, the player's yeah. championship. Yeah, the player's championship. And, um, he, it was a deck that wasn't on any radar. It just didn't exist prior to the event. He made the deck, and not only did he make the deck and succeed with it, but he played it super fast with all these decision points um, that seemed like you would have to actually stop and think about it. And then the deck didn't really do much after that because everyone else wasn't Shota. So, it, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Shota's uh, terrifying. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is intimidating to sit across the table from. Yeah, yeah. He's also like the MTG Elo point leader right now, right? Possibly. I don't know. I think. I think. Yeah, he's I think, the, I, think I, I saw would, the same thing. Wouldn't surprise me. All right. Uh, next question. We'll we'll do this for both of you. We'll go with uh, Benton to start. What is your favorite mechanic? Oh, interesting. I would say. Um, hmm. That's a really interesting question. What's my favorite mechanic? Uh, I'm a big fan of adventure, um, which I mean, the adventure cards themselves, I think, get sometimes like a bad rap because of um, just the fact like th- th- there were like uh, they saw a lot of play, so sometimes like people got a little little sick of them. But I, I really like like when you play a brazen borrower and you're not like on an innkeeper deck, um, I feel like how it plays in the game is really sweet. The same thing is true of like bone crusher giant. I think that like the adventure cards tend to be just a really nice sort of Swiss army knife. They always feel good. They never feel broken. Um, it's a really nice sort of like, it, it gives players a lot of options while also being quite flavorful. Um, it's just, it just seemed to me like a really sweet, well-designed fun to play mechanic with a lot of room for design space. Um, it's sort of interesting to me that, 
I, I, if I, if you'd asked me about this like a couple weeks ago, I wouldn't have been surprised to say something so recent. But that's probably the one that I enjoy the most. All right, Reed. <laughs> um, I was cycling through them all in my head. I'm gonna go with First Strike. Let's just. Really? I'm, I'm a big fan of of keeping it uh, simple. I think the you know, the beauty of Magic is like in the 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 rules of the game rather than like making the individual cards really like complex and wordy. And I think just having a basic mechanic that sort of subtly impacts combat and uh, gives you, you know, an advantage sometimes if, if you, if you're a blocker on a complicated board, I think that stuff's cool. You know, I, I don't, I don't think um, there's any one mechanic that, that is that stands out to me is like I want to see this in every single set for the rest of all time. All right, all right. There goes Benton again, but that's fine because the next question is for Reed. Uh, Reed, first of all, congratulations. Now that you're finally a Pro Tour champion, do you intend to take a rest from the competitive game, or on the contrary, uh, does it give you more motivation to keep playing at a high level and win more titles? That's a great question, and there, there's a little bit of both. Um, so one example is. I am not going to go to the regional champion or yeah, the regional championship in San Diego um, because first of all, that's the opposite coast for me. So it's, it's, it's quite a long uh, travel and now I don't need to compete for the invitation anymore. So, I mean, that's a sweet tournament. I, I would love to go be playing, but I think it's a, it's an opportunity where I, I have earned myself like a little bit of rest and I always find that I, can perform better if I'm playing a relatively smaller number of events and just putting a little more focus on, on the ones that I do play in. So th that's my goal is not to spread myself too thin, but to choose, you know, five or eight or 10 big tournaments per year that I can attend and, and do a good job at. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that question was for Reed, but Benton, how, how do you feel? Does this inspire you to play more? You already went and played Commander at your local game store, but uh, does it inspire you to play more? Do you want to take a break? I, uh, well, so because I queued through the arena plan, I'm queued for the arena championship, which is in a month. Um, and so for me, I was, uh, I, so maybe this is a little different for me than, than for Reed. This is my first big tournament finish, and I would be I'd be mad at myself if I followed it up with some last place uh, finish at another tournament. And because the arena championship is like a pretty large tournament, I definitely want to play it. Um, it. It does have qualifications. I sorry, I come out of a similar place in the RC, which is that like, I may not go just cause I'm already qualified for worlds. And that that's the main thing that like would matter to me uh, be playing for. But um, with the arena championship, it definitely makes sense to go. I think it cues for the next one after that. And if I don't take it very seriously, I will last place because I don't know what's going on in historic, man. I, I need to figure that out. I, I, yeah. it's, it, that's a format that I just, I'm, I've never really quite had the time to focus on. I usually like gravitated toward pioneer cause that's what the RCQ format was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I really, I don't want to embarrass myself there, you know? Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Benton. Uh, so back to the tournament. Do you regret that aggressive mulligan in the second game of the final? No, All it was right. correct. I'd do it again. Okay. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you if you told me like um, if you told me like you're going to end up mulling to four and losing, then I would I would keep a seven land hand because I don't technically know that's like I would keep like over a guaranteed loss, like knowing the future. But uh, the hand was a was a mulligan. I will say you could change a number of cards in that hand and make it a keep. If you make Shram a light pause, it's a keep. If you make either the two-man enchantments a one-man enchantment, it's a keep. Uh, the hand for reference was two pathways and I Ganjo. You can tell I've watched coverage. Uh, a Shram, a Skarelv, uh, an Alpha Authority, and an All the Glitters. The logic here, if uh, maybe it's a bold, uh, is if you have a Light Pause instead of a Shram, sure, you get blown up by removal, but the Light Pause will at least race a turn five combo. And if you have a one-man enchantment over a two-man enchantment, then Shram can potentially race a turn five combo. Does that 700 hand loses either to two pieces of interaction or a turn five combo, Reed would have likely shipped anything else. Like he would have, he's either keeping the hand because he thinks he's going to combo quickly or because he thinks he's going to have enough interaction. He wouldn't keep a hand, I don't think. That's like four lands, three Fable of the Mirror Breakers, which is like the only thing I can think of that that Stram hand beats, you know? All right. Yeah, I did have two burn spells in my opening hand, so. There you go. Uh, 
let's, this is for both of you, but we'll go back to Reed. Uh, do you have any pre-match rituals? Not specifically. I always just tell people, do what you need to do to feel good uh, when, when you sit down to play. Um, so, yeah, I mean, sometimes that's going out for a short walk or just getting a moment of quiet, but anything to get a mental reset and sort of clear the slate from whatever happened in the previous match. Phantom? Mm -hmm. uh, my answer, I got a lot of them. Um, so uh, Ethiopian coffee is the first. I really love Ethiopian coffee before um, big tournaments or uh, uh, big tests. It's just something that I find like really kind of puts me in a, a good place. Although it does make you jittery, which some people may have noticed. Um, the uh, other thing is uh, I like to meditate if I can in the mornings, just take 20 minutes, sit in the quiet and just, you know, you'll think about things. You'll sort of process your thoughts on it. You'll leave it knowing whether or not you actually want to play magic today. You know what I mean? Which is sort of like, I mean, usually the answer is yes, because I love the game, but that is an important thing to like. You know, some, some, I mean, Gradic is a great game, but, but there are some moments in life where you just have to prioritize triage, you know, so that's, that's a useful thing to sort of have some time to check in with yourself. Um, I'm a big believer in just taking time to read in between rounds, just because um, a good complicated book can sort of like take you off of the last match and what you've been doing and just sort of like be like palate cleanser for your brain. Um, meditations of Marcus Aurelius, something like that. It's like really archaic and hard to like, you need to reread the same sentence like multiple times is really useful uh, for me just because it sort of really demands your attention or like a nice, you know, longer form novel. Um, and then uh, uh, you also, <laughs> I remember a friend of mine on Discord, he said to me, um, I've never met Ben before, but from what I've heard, I just passed a guy doing squats in the convention center hall and I'm assuming that's him and he was correct. <laughs> uh, I, I try to work out every day and uh, if I can't, it's all calisthenic. Um, just because I want a workout that I can take with me anywhere. I don't want to like be dependent on, I don't want to like say, oh, I don't have my weights, I can't work out. So um, I uh, will be the weirdo in the corner of the room doing stretches and squats and uh, all that. I mean, the other thing is that the stretches do a lot just to keep your back from hurting from sitting in chairs all day. Um, so I do a lot of that sort of thing too. All right. Well, we are just about out of time. Um, I want to say congratulations to both Reed and Benton. Um, seriously, really great finish to an amazing event. Um, I know on the coverage side, we were all super excited for Paper Magic to be back and, and you guys put on a show. So congratulations to you two. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back next week, uh, and we'll see you then. Bye, everyone.